Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it bring it to the bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, guys. I'm Jim. Uh, I'm the Leicester City fan for the EPL Roundtable. You can find me on Twitter at Jim Knight Tweets. Yeah, I'm Jake, a Newcastle fan. You can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's. Hi, I'm Dan, Arsenal fan. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Some people on the show potentially happier than others, but I'm sure we'll get to that in a bit. Um, I wasn't sure if we would have time to talk about today's matches, but I feel like we have to now. For those that are unaware, Liverpool beat Manchester United 7-0, uh, as both are kind of in that top four area at the moment. Um, I'm just curious from you guys, oh, what did you make of the insanity that was that match, and why do you think things accelerated so much in the second half? Yeah, it's an interesting one because obviously United were riding high on the, I think they were 11 matches unbeaten. They've won their first trophy for six years. I think it's 2017 they last won a trophy. So winning the Carabao Cup uh, last week and then they run into a team that I think a lot of people would have looked at that match as a fairly decent coin flip even with it being at Anfield because of Manchester United's recent good form and to see them just, it was like the early days of Ten Hag when they were getting beaten by uh, Brighton and, and Brentford. They, it just looked to me like when they went 2-0 down so early in the second half, their heads just dropped and Liverpool weren't in the mood to kind of take their foot off the gas. We've seen it a few times recently with United teams under different managers where uh, the likes of Liverpool or Manchester City in particular have racked up big scorelines against them and just kind of taken their, their foot off the gas after 50-60 minutes. But Liverpool showed no sign of doing that and just kind of kept going right until the very end. I mean, there was there was a four-on-three break in the last, like, two minutes of injury time. It could have made it 8-0 as well. Um, it was it was very, very one-sided. I, I, it's a weird thing in this United team that I think there's still a very fragile uh, shell underneath. I think Ten Hag's done a really good job, obviously, to kind of band them together and to get them into a unit that look vaguely competent. And obviously, they're well in the mix still for a top four finish and they've won a trophy and they're progressing in Europe. So you can't kind of knock any of that progress, but it does look like psychologically, particularly in these highly charged kind of matches, there's a chance that it just all goes very, very much downhill. I mean, if you watch Bruno Fernandes second half, like the guy was actively trying to get himself sent off. He was doing no chasing back whatsoever. The most effort I saw him put in was when he pushed the linesman. And just kind of kicking at people randomly. So I think there's still that fragile kind of uh, soft centre with United. And it's obviously a massive job for Ten Hag to to kind of galvanise that because 
these results don't happen every week, but they happen more often to Manchester United than other big clubs, it feels like, to the degree of which they get beaten. Um, and that, that's got to be ironed out because otherwise it's going to continue to be in the back of these players' minds. Opposition clubs are going to know that. Managers are going to know that. Um, and it's going to keep kind of being a millstone around their necks because in the event that it goes south, like you know that there's a very real chance that 2-0 turns into 5-0 or 6-0 or in this case 7. So it, it's something they've really got to iron out. I just can't put my finger on, on what exactly it is other than that psychological fragility. Yeah, it was a tough watch in the second half. Um, for Manchester Not for Manchester. me. I, I found it very <laughs> enjoyable. I, I, yeah, it was. A, it was. A t- I found it a tough watch because I was thinking, why couldn't they have done this last weekend? It would be much better for me. But um, <laughs> yeah, thing about the thing about Liverpool, I, I don't know if it's more about Manchester United or more about Liverpool. Liverpool still have seem to have this ability to go on these spells in games, um, but they just seem to be able to do it only on the big occasion now, like. Um, I haven't been impressed with Liverpool for a long time. So, so for them to score seven goals, you have to think that that's down to Manchester United. But I, I thought Liverpool did well today. Um, but I just fully expect them to go and drop points to Bournemouth next weekend. It's just the, the way it is with Liverpool. But yeah, it's. Um, I don't think it should bother Manchester United fans. It should. I it's obviously it's obviously a hugely disappointing result and one that they're going to get um, the piss taken out of them for a while. About it's obviously um, after them beating Barcelona, knocking them out of the Europa League and then getting up into third. A few of them talking about being in the title race, winning a cup. It's obviously all been going so well that this is going to feel like it's knocking them back to earth. But it, in a year's time, they'll probably look back on it and it will just be a freak result. I don't think I don't think there's anything to be overly worried about. You, the main things are maybe you look at the likes of Fernandes and uh, maybe Luke Shaw as well. I thought he, he really fell off that the attitudes when they were losing weren't great and the, the team just completely fell apart. But we, the hardest thing for a top team now in the top four is to have that mentality of just uh, being able to bounce back and being able to manage yourself and stay at that high standard. I think Liverpool had it for a long time. I don't think they have it now. I think it's City have had it for a long, long time. You've seen with Arsenal this year, they started to get it and that's why they've been able to, you know, they had that a few games with poor results. Then they managed to bounce back and they scored a few late goals against Miller and then against Bournemouth. They just seem to have that mentality, mentality now. They've built it, but it's taken Arteta so long to get it. Like, Ten Hag's done an incredible job. He's brought in some great players. They've obviously got players in the squad that have won everything there is to win. But to build that mentality as a team takes so, so much longer. You can't just do it in a season. It takes years and years. And they just don't have it yet. Um, a few conceded goals against Liverpool will just remind them of the times they've been beaten by Liverpool very well in, in, in recent years. Mo Salah, I think, in the last couple of years, has scored so many goals against them. Like, it's just sort of like post-traumatic stress disorder for some of them, really. They've just been like, oh, we've been here before. We know how it goes. It's completely lost their heads. I don't think it happens against any other opposition. I think it only happens against Liverpool. It just seems they've had their number for a long time. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be overly worried about it. To lose seven is, is, is bad. Um, it could have been more, which is, which is the, the worrying thing. Um, but I thought in the first half, Manchester United looked, looked, looked pretty good. I thought they were created enough. They had a few good chances. Yeah, they were um, counter-attacking pretty well in that first half. Yeah, Rashford, for the first time in a long time, missed, missed a one-on-one. I haven't seen that in a long time. So, yeah, it's just one of those weird games. Um, I wouldn't be talking about it. I'm sure they'll bounce back. They're going to finish in the top four. They might go and win another cup. 
they're, you know, still in the FA Cup, still in the Europa League. It's going to be a good season for them. This is just a freak result. It's you. It will be interesting to see how they bounce back from it. But with the likes of Ram and and Rashford and Casemiro and that squad, I just don't think there's too much to worry about. It's they're gonna. It's going to be a bit of a joke result for a while. If the fans have gone about it, Matt, you know, it's going to be one of those things that goes on and on. But I'd expect Manchester United to get back to winning pretty soon. Um, and yeah, I I wouldn't be overly concerned for them. Yeah, now, in fairness to Bruno Fernandes, who among us has not had a rough day at work and just been like, nah, I'm done. I'm not doing anything anymore. Who among <laughs> us? But, Watching the clock. Yeah, just like, nope. I'm just, and you know what? If they send me home early, that's fine. Um, but um, now, as far as uh, some, during the game, someone I follow on Twitter made a comparison to like the Brazil-Germany game back in the 2014 World Cup. I felt that was pretty apt because it was it was not only... Your, your, it was a combination of getting outplayed because they were pretty clearly. Um, especially in the second half, obviously, uh, losing their heads because they, re- as you, uh, Jake and Jim already stated, um, like Bruno Fernandez and Luke Shaw specifically were just, I don't know what they were doing. They completely lost it. All composure went out the window. And then also every shot went in, which I guess wasn't true because Jota didn't score at the, in the 92nd minute. But up until then, like a lot of Liverpool just had, they, no, we're not missing their good chances. Their so, expected like, all... goals was 2.68. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they scored yeah, seven. It's like, they de- yeah, definitely outplayed them by a lot, but also like them scoring seven from those chances was an outlier. Uh, so like all three of those things kind of all happening at the same time gets is what you need for this kind of insane freak result. Um, and it, like, it is a freak result. United are good. I think the talk of them being in the title was wrong. Um, I don't think they were ever really in the title, or maybe for like the four days before um, their game against us at the Emirates. Um, Prior to that, like maybe that the, the title talk was maybe kind of legitimate, but still not really. Uh, ever since then, I I've thought it has been a two horse race. Um, I thought it's been a two horse race for a while, but they are still good. Um, and as long like I would be surprised if they miss top four. Granted, their attack is pretty reliant on Marcus Rashford going nuclear, but I do think they're in, they're still in very position to get top four. I don't think this will have too much of an of a hangover effect. Um, so I wouldn't be. I mean, I'd be concerned because this sucks, but of like looking forward, I wouldn't be too concerned as a United fan as much as today is going to hurt a lot. Um, I guess if you want like a back in 2013-14 um, when Arsenal went from maybe challenging and then got smashed by Liverpool and smashed by Chelsea, but we still managed to get top four. So if you want a positive potential comparison, they can look back towards that. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, so I'd, you, still, I'd still be more worried if I was a Liverpool fan than if I was a Manchester United fan about the short term and long term future. I, I would agree. Even after yeah. that game. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to follow up with is like, uh, is this Liverpool turning a corner? Is this going to have a meaningful impact on the top four race? Uh, or is this just one of those freaky results that you get in football sometimes? I think it's <clears throat> it's kind of indicative of Liverpool getting better, but they drop way too many bad results for my liking to kind of anoint them back and in the top four kind of positions going forward because as as the guys have already said this is one standout result but they are only ever I think as Jake earlier said you fully expect them to go and drop some points at Bournemouth next week that that's not going to surprise anyone um, who's watched Liverpool for any amount of time this season it just seems to be that psychological chokehold that, that Liverpool have over Manchester United at the moment but there are still big holes in that team there are massive issues particularly in midfield 
um, for Jurgen Klopp to address going forward. It, it's obviously encouraging to see Nunes and Gakpo both get, get on the score sheet twice. Like That's what Liverpool fans want, I guess, in this kind of new look attack with Salah, who's hit some form recently as well. But um, I still think, given Newcastle standing, given Tottenham are, are still up there, although we can debate the, the merits of Tottenham's top four credentials. <laughs> Two later, out of hand. Yeah, exactly. It, it's um, it's going to be an interesting top four race because I think you can you can make an argument for any one of those three teams kind of picking up the, the fourth place um, behind the, the challenging two for the title and then Manchester United, who I don't think will drop off in such a way that they're going to just death spiral out of the top four. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think there are still big issues at Liverpool um, and I would be hesitant to kind of anoint them back and, and in the title race going forward next season and beyond on that basis because I, th- I still think they've got a big overhaul to come to kind of make them competitive especially if, if Newcastle kick on next season especially if City and Arsenal kind of retain that threat going forward and are as good as they are this season if not better given that the, they've got young players that are kind of mature particularly in Arsenal's case so I would still be worried going forward for the kind of long-term Liverpool outlook um, and not get too kind of caught up in this, although I'm sure there's plenty of Liverpool fans revelling in the moment for now, but it's just three points at the end of the day. You don't get any more for smashing one of your biggest rivals 7-0. Yeah, I I don't think they're going to be kind of buoyed by this to such a point where it's going to paper over all the cracks which we've discussed on this podcast kind of multiple times this season already. Yeah, I, I think they've got a very good chance of getting into the top four just because of, I, I think top, Tottenham have just, I don't really know how they are for. <laughs> it's probably because they've played more games, but yeah, I, they, they, I just don't see them finishing there. I think with Newcastle, we've dropped off a bit. I I still think our general performances are much better, are better than Liverpool and Tottenham at the moment. We're actually playing okay, which can't score. I think you're seeing the quality, the difference between those top six teams and the team that tried to get into it is that when Liverpool play poorly, when Tottenham play poorly, they can still get results because they play because they score goals. Where it just feels like new, we can't do that. We just don't score enough. Um, and Brighton are coming on strong, but I just feel with Brighton and Newcastle, they're both going. I feel like both teams are going to play well for the rest of the season, but they're just both going to drop points and they're just not going to have the goals in their team. Um, and with Tottenham. They're fourth because they have Harry Kane. If they didn't have him, they wouldn't be there. Uh, and it's the same with Liverpool. They've just got such good attacking players that they can blow teams away. And um, yeah, I feel like they're going to get into the top four. But and I feel that's probably going to help them paper over the cracks and be able to recruit good enough players next summer to sort of mean that this is a blip. But I'm not. I'm not 100 percent on that. Like I'm not. I'm not confident on any of those teams finishing in the top four. And that's kind of the point. Is that they all have their flaws. They all have their weaknesses. They all, they can all drop points at any point, um, at any in any game. So, it's it is a really difficult one to call. I feel like Liverpool are sort of building that momentum at the right time. I feel like Newcastle, New, we had that momentum, but we've lost it. It's just gone, uh, and it's difficult to build it up in the running. And and I feel with Tottenham, it's similar for them. It it just feels like Brighton and, and Liverpool are the two teams that are really coming into form. Um, and with Brighton. We know that they just won't pick up the points. They'll go on a run of of, of drawing games, not being able to finish their chances, um, losing games as well. 
I just think Liverpool have just got that experience. They've just got so much quality that they've got enough quality to get the results they need, uh, especially going out if they go out of the Champions League, as they, as they probably should. They're out of the FA Cup. They've only got this to focus on. They have most of their players back. I think Canate being back is important. It gives them, I think their defence now is good and, and as it should be. Their big problems are just in midfield. But I just think they're going to they're just going to have enough, uh, especially at Anfield. I can't see them dropping any points there at all. So yeah, I, I just think I think they'll get in, but there's still massive problems, and I'm not 100 percent on them getting in. Like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm, I think they are the team, but there's there's enough problems in there that, that that Tottenham and Newcastle, if if they can get things together, should have got still got a great chance to. Yeah, as far as like, is this important for top four? I mean, it is. It's a six pointer that Liverpool, like, you know, a six pointer that Liverpool got three points off of. And also, like, it helps for goal difference. They now have the best goal difference of anyone in the chasing back for top four. Um, so, in in literally just this specific game, it does very much matter for top four. I don't think this is like a corner turned for Liverpool, as you guys have already said. Like, their midfield is still bad. Um, they do have the best, they have an extremely good attack, and that might just be enough. Like, you don't necessarily need to be great both ways um to get top four that's more like uh, what you need for the title thing um so i think i would agree that i think they're like the favorite of those three teams to get top four but i don't think anyone is like a favorite by majority i think they're all like a plural i don't think anyone has like a greater than 50 percent chance to get in top four right now in my head like if i was to assign probabilities to all of them i don't think anyone's greater than 50 percent chance because they all have big flaws like i think newcastle have been the best team to this point this season, I think Liverpool are the most talented of those three. And well, as Jake said, Spurs have Harry Kane. He's pretty good at kicking the footballs. Um, so that's kind of all they have going for him. But who knows? It might be enough. They have they have, uh, they have that and they have a decent number of points. Um, so I would agree. I think Liverpool are the favorites of those three, but not I don't. I also don't have that much faith in them. It's just I don't think anyone is like a clearly convincing fourth best team. Um, so. I don't think this is like a turning point in terms of like, oh, Liverpool are back to what they've been the last five years, but and they also have a very good attack and they showed that today and that's kind of always been there and they're at least in touching distance of the top four. So in that sense, I'm not sure I'd call it a turning point, but it's an important moment. Mm. I'm certainly feeling more optimistic uh, with what you guys keep saying. We might still be in with a chance ourselves, but yeah, it's it's going to be a very interesting race uh till till the end of the season i think it's shaping up to be really interesting at all sections of the table as we're we're about to discuss uh by jumping to the top a team that has not really shown too many weaknesses this season is of course dan's arsenal who are still top of the table after yesterday's last gasp winner against bournemouth which was hardly their first time doing it that season uh as a spurs fan it's really starting to feel like they're the team of destiny this year it happened with leicester uh, obviously, the year when we were so good under Poch, it happened when Chelsea were good. Um, their Conte year when we were still good. It just feels like that same thing where every week we keep thinking that they're going to drop points and they keep not. Is is that just the fears of a Tottenham fan or collectively are people starting to view this as kind of like a, a magic season for Arsenal? No, I think there's definitely an element of that. Obviously, coming back from, from two goals down against anyone to, to win in that fashion is going to galvanise a team. Um, emotionally and kind of bond them together. But Arsenal haven't been that impressive. Like they've been brilliant like as a season as a whole, but I think there's been times in the last few weeks, like they had that run where they lost to Arsenal in the cup and that kind of then 
prompted a little bit of a, a stutter in the league, but they'd done so well up until that point, and I think Man City haven't been as good as they have been in recent years, if that makes sense. Like those seasons where after Christmas, uh, Man City and Liverpool in the past have just gone kind of blow for blow for the entire second half of the season, barely dropped any points between them, and it's basically just been a case of like a draw here or there has cost you. Um, in Liverpool's case. So I think it's more, I think both teams are more susceptible to mistakes this season, um, which kind of makes it more exciting, like for the neutral anyway. I'm happier going into these games going, uh, yes, Arsenal or Man City are big favourites, but it doesn't feel like a foregone conclusion before a ball is kicked. And sometimes with Man City, especially, it's felt like that at times in the last couple of years. um, You know, so you look at that that point of form and Arsenal are still doing brilliantly. They've still got a five-point lead, but they have still got to play Man City. So I wouldn't say it kind of feels like destiny. I think it's tempting to say that after a result like Bournemouth because it, it, you kind of name on the cup kind of situation, you get a last gas winner, but they have still got plenty to do. And they are a very, very young squad with a relatively inexperienced manager in his own right. Otis is doing brilliantly, but there are still some questions to answer and no doubt about it. They're favourites for me, obviously, like a, a five-point advantage over Man City. But having seen them uh, kind of drop points recently to Everton and to Brentford um, and then obviously to Man City in that kind of pivotal game, knowing that they've got to play them again, I wouldn't say it's kind of destiny right now, but it's super exciting to see two teams slugging it out, but both of them with weaknesses or kind of not that insurmountable kind of aura around them where you feel like teams are beaten before they even show up. You know, Bournemouth obviously got off to a great start yesterday, one of the fastest goals in the history of the league and kind of went two up. And yeah, okay, they surrendered that lead in the end, but those games are going to inherently be more exciting than a lot of the kind of strolls to a two or three nil victory that we've seen with the likes of Man City in the past few seasons. So, yeah, not not kind of des- team of destiny yet, but a certain very, very exciting last third of the season, I think, with with those two slugging it out. Um, and particularly that that last game between them that's coming up as well is, is going to be so, so crucial, given the, the opportunity to kind of swing it six points in either direction. Yeah, it's obviously they say that scoring goals like that is, and winning games like that is what champions do, and it is. Um, there's still just a lot. There are a, a lot of obstacles to overcome, as, as Jim said. But I wouldn't say they're the team of destiny just yet. Even if you look at the fixtures, um, they have to go to Anfield before they go to to the Etihad. Then they obviously have to go away to play us at, at St James's Park. They have those three look like treats three tricky away games. Liverpool just don't, um, Man City just don't have any of those games. They just have, they seem to have, they've played most of their quote-unquote hard games. Um, they obviously have to play Arsenal at home. They've got, they've got a few, they've got um, Liverpool to play as well, but that's at home. Um, and they've got Chelsea, but that's at home. Like, they've gone away to, and done all those tricky away games. Um, it feels, it feels like uh, Arsenal will have to go to Liverpool um, and win. And if they do do that, they've also got that five point cushion before they uh, go to the Etihad. But if they don't, they you know the pressure just ramps up so much in that game. They have to then Man City then have the opportunity to go and beat them at home and, and move into top spot. Um, so yeah, it, I'd say Arsenal are the slight favourites, 
but I think it's very, very slight. I, I think the fixtures do give favouritism to City. Uh, also, the Europa League coming back in, it'll be interesting how Arteta manages that one because uh, they don't have a big squad. Um, and we saw with Partey missing, that, that, that did hurt them a little bit. If they lost Saka, you know, Reese Nelson has come in and, and done well in the games he's played in, but he's not going to perform to Saka levels on a on a high bit on a um, consistent basis. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't say yeah, I wouldn't say it's team of destiny, but they, there are so many positive signs. Like the, the, to bounce back from that poor run of results is something they didn't do last year. Um, to sort of get these late winners is something we haven't associated with Arsenal in the past. Like they've made huge strides forward in their mentality, but. I still think five points isn't enough to give them team of destiny. I still think it's, I'd say, 55% in their favour, but they've got some tricky games, much trickier than Manfred. Yeah, I mean, it feels like the team of destiny, but like teams have felt like they're the team of destiny before and they weren't because destiny isn't, you know. Um, but so, like, it feels great to, um, like, great is an understatement. That was awesome. Um, especially, like, Reese Nelson doing it in the 97th minute. Um, that was amazing. That was a great moment. Um, but, like, I mean, it felt like we were Team Destiny in 15-16 when Welbeck had the winner against Leicester. Like, that felt very Team destiny E. And then, like, the next week we went and lost to um, United, Swansea, and then drew to Spurs. Like, I mean, it, the teams have felt like the Team Destiny before, and they weren't. Um, it definitely feels like that right now, and that's great. Um, I would agree that City definitely have the easier fixtures to go. Um, and the five point cushion is significant, but as Jake said, it's not like enough. Like, I don't, I don't feel like if we are favorites, it's very slight in my head. It's basically a 50, 50. Um, so <laughs> that's extremely stressful, but I guess it's good to have that stress as opposed to other stress. But, um, so yeah, it feels like we're a team of destiny. Absolutely, like we had three 90th minute winners in the last two months, um, and like in a sense, that is what champions do. Champions get those breaks. Like you need, you need to get. I don't know if lucky is the right word, but you get the get a few favorable bounces to like win anything. That's just how that works. Um, and like we got the bounces. Now we need to go capitalize on the fact we have had them and push forward and you know win the league. That'd be nice. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to do it. It does feel like a coin flip in my head. Um, so like, it definitely feels like we're a team of destiny, but that doesn't mean we're actually going to win the league. Hey, uh, my mood is getting increasingly better as, as we record here. Um, <laughs> interesting points from all of you. Uh, regardless of whether or not they win the league, though, kind of like we were just talking about with Manchester United, it certainly seems like both the present and future are bright. Uh, why do we think that it like so clicked into gear this year for Arsenal? I know really early on in the season, we talked about their early really good run of form and how they had the easiest start to the season and whether or not that would just give them confidence or whether it meant that their their form would crash as soon as uh, that easy run was over. It seems to be the former. Yeah, I think it, I think it's one of those things where they've got a manager and a team you know the I, I talked just a moment ago about how they've got to prove this a, as a unit and Pep Guardiola's Man City have been there done it you know they know that they've got the mentality to see them over the line um if things go their way and you know the, there is a very real chance that they do overtake Arsenal in that, that kind of final third but I feel like Arsenal have got not that they're they're not look, they're not massive outsiders like Leicester were, but I do feel they've got the more kind of they've got that 
so what if we don't kind of thing like the the expectation weight around them has not been what it has for other teams in the last few years because of the kind of transitional phase that the club have been in um they haven't necessarily i, I don't think many of us would have picked arsenal to be ahead of man city at this stage of the, uh, the start of the season right even the most optimistic of arsenal fans probably would have been relatively happy with a top four finish, you know, maybe a cup run, uh, some decent European results. So I think there's an element of the, do you know what, they don't know when they're beaten. And I think you could see that yesterday in the Bournemouth result. Um, even at 2-0 down, they uh, never kind of accepted that defeat and uh, and came back and got the win. So I think that works in their advantage. But I think just you can see the maturity of the group kind of developing, you know, after what Saka's kind of done and, and had happened to him on the international stage over the last couple of years. He's the perfect kind of encapsulation of bouncing back from those kind of psychological knocks and um, kind of working back to his very best. And I think it's just the, it's the group maturing as a, as a unit. Uh, and I think Arteta is kind of at the very, very heart of that, kind of forging his way in management on his own, stepping out of that, that shadow of Guardiola and, moving to Arsenal, taking that job um, in what was clearly a transitional kind of phase and building a squad that is capable of, of potentially winning the league. So I think as much as Man City have got that that history behind them and that experience, there's a kind of youthful exuberance with Arsenal and a kind of, we don't know when we're beaten, which is kind of nice to watch. It's really enjoyable to watch. It's great. And I think part of it is, a part, part of that explains why they're still doing as well as they are because not that this is all a bonus to them, but I, I think the lack of expectation to begin with has kind of helped them um, build up. And I, I guess the the true test will be whether they can handle that pressure when they have to go to not just the big teams, but also those games where you look at it on paper, you're like, yeah, Arsenal should win that. And it's like, actually, are they going to coast through those games like you would expect them to do? Um, because that is when the, the psychological pressure gets ratcheted up as well. You know, th- there's always going to be a few, well, normally going to be a few surprising results in the last few weeks of the season. So I think I think it's an interesting kind of dynamic between the well-established Premier League heavyweight of Man City and the kind of young pretenders in Arsenal that are kind of giving as good as they're getting at the moment. Yeah, it- <laughs> It, it, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what Jim just said. To be honest, um, you can just see you can see the you can see the the, the improvements that, that that have been made in a short space of time. Like you'd probably say that missing out on top four in the way that they did was probably a benefit long term, even though I didn't feel like it at the time. Like I feel like if Arsenal had got into the top four last year, they probably wouldn't be top of the league now. Um, I feel like they had to go through that pain. Obviously, not having Champions League football may have helped as well because they. You know, Europa League is not quite as intense. Um, you can rest a lot. You know, you don't have to play your first team. You don't really care about it much. Um, but I think to have that disappointment uh, as a group and then really push on from there, learn from it. Um, and I think we're seeing it with Liverpool now. Like, it's 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 very easy to lose that sort of cloak of invincibility. It's very difficult to gain it uh, and to, to, to get that reputation. Like with City, they've got it. Like as a fan going to the this weekend, I expected my team to lose, um, and I feel like most teams 
most most clubs do. I think with Arsenal at the moment, they don't quite have that, even though they've been so good this season. You still go into the games and you have a little bit of, you know, oh, maybe this is when Arsenal are going to slip up. Maybe this is it. Maybe we, if we attack them, um, we put them under pressure. Maybe this is the time. And even though City slip up, you, you just don't still, they just feel like they've got that invincibility. Liverpool had it, they lost it. And Arsenal are slowly getting it, but it takes time. Um, and I think if they go on and win the league from here, you're, they're, you know, they're going to have that mentality. Um, and to, it feels like it's a lot more organic than, than when City had it. It feels quite similar to Liverpool in a way. Um, but yeah, the amount of players through the academy coming through as well, to, to build that mentality with, with so many players coming from your own academy and like signing players from like Brighton, it's, it's very impressive. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that, I think they've, they've definitely sort of slowly built this mentality they haven't had for a long time. Like it, it felt like it was, it was just cliches when you spoke about Arsenal in the past, oh, they don't have any leaders. Oh, they, they you know, they, they've got a soft belly, you can always get at them. They just, doesn't feel that way anymore, but there's still, a, you know, it takes time for that to completely go, and it, it is going. But yeah, there's there's still some 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 worry for Arsenal. Like to to go two 0 at home, down at home against Bournemouth is a worry, but then to bounce back is obviously just shows the progression. But yeah, I I still have a few concerns, but they become fewer and fewer every week. Yeah, so I guess a few things. One for the like early season where I mean, we won our first five against you know left, I think all bottom half opposition. I do think we underrate like that is an indicator. Like winning five in a row against any teams, any selection of teams in Premier League is like very difficult to do, and doing that is inherently impressive regardless of who it's against. I do think just as a general thing, like if a team wins five in a row, that means something. And like, not that it's always going to turn into them being top of the league two way, two thirds way through the season. But like, I think that's something just in general we should probably like take more note of because that's just really hard to like win five games in a row and like do it deservingly. Um, and then as far as like what happened from like, we were very good, we were pretty good, like a top four level team for the last two thirds of the season, uh, and that was with basically a black hole at striker. I do think it really like. I'm not sure it's talked about enough just how bad the production at striker was last season. Like both Lacazette and Aubameyang were totally cooked. I mean, I think this Lacazette was getting like one shot a game if we were lucky. Um, it just it was very bad at striker. So to have just a real striker in Jesus and even Eddie Nketiah, like if if we got this production from Nketiah and actually played Nketiah like the entire second half of last season, I think we'd probably make top four. Um, like I think it is really like, under talked about just how bad our striker production was last year. I was talking about a lot in the summer, so maybe it's not under talked about, but like I think that's just a very big part of this. And then like Martin Odegaard is taking the leap, he's just really good now. Um, he was good last season, but he's really good now. That's a huge, that's a huge improvement. Um, but Kyle Saka has continued to not fall off because he just, I don't know, the guy's incredible, the guy's insane. He's just, you always, you've at this point, we've maybe be beyond expecting him to like come back down to earth a little like you know whenever a young player has a good start to their career you always pick like a sophomore slump or a third year slump and he just has never had it he just keeps going he keeps pushing on um and is just a very very good player who also happens to be 21 like he's not good for 21 he's just very very good um but just as like a little indicator of the leap Odegaard has taken which I think is probably the biggest single player improvement he was at uh, 0.36 um expected goals and expected assists per 90 last season he's up to 0.57 this year 
Like that's massive. Um, he's just has actually started shooting the ball. Um, he's like been getting good shots. That's just been a huge improvement. Um, and like when you add when you add a striker that's actually getting shots, and then also have your number ten, or he's kind of more of an eight, but whatever, eight and a half. Um, also going from not taking many shots to getting a lot of shots, that's just gonna make your attack and therefore your team a lot better. Like those have just been two very significant changes. Um, getting Zinchenko in at left back, even if he has missed a decent amount of time this season, has changed but has changed the team in both equality wise and identity wise. We can kind of do the little box midfield where Zinchenko steps into midfield. Um, so you have him and um, whether whoever's um, in that midfield along with Shaka and Odegaard on the day, um, they can kind of perform a double pivot. And then you also have Shaka and Odegaard in front of them, do the little box midfield. Um, we weren't able to do that with Tierney at left back. Like he's tried when he stepped in, he's not as technically good as Zinchenko. Not many are. Um, so that's been a big improvement. We've got Saliba, and as a defender now, he has helped immensely. Um, and Gabriel has been, he's, he still has a few bozo moments um, here and there. He just, that just seems to be who he is, but he's been very good this season. Um, so it's just been an improvement throughout the team. Um, and I think the biggest areas are just the striker and Odegaard have both just improved by leaps and bounds. Uh, so that's, that's I think that's where that's where it is um, as far as and obviously we've had the mentality is fantastic. Um, we are clearly a very mentally strong team. And everyone believes in what they're doing. Um, so that helps, too. But I think it's like the two biggest factors are probably like we have a real striker now. And Martin Odegaard has gone from a good player to a world class player. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah, certainly a lot of good points from all of you there. We'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club specific questions for each of our guests. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, and we are back. Jim, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Leicester. I told you before we hit record, I was like trying to look for like a interesting statistical or nuanced question for you. And then I took a look at Leicester social media and it was all Rogers out stuff. Uh, so I guess we need to address that instead. Public sentiment definitely seems to have flipped on him. Where do you kind of stand on this topic? And do you think he'll make it to the end of the season? Uh, yeah, I think the... Southampton game was a bit of a sea change moment, probably for the Rogers apologists, uh, especially given that the kind of just, it's just the latest in a long line of very, very dismal showings. I think we've had one shot on target in our last four Premier League games um, or three and a half Premier League games. Um, I saw a stat uh, on Twitter earlier. I think it's 250 minutes or whatever that equates to in games. Um, 
where we've had one shot on target total. Um, now, Rogers isn't out there playing centre-forward, um, so you, you can't kind of blame him for everything. There is some lack of execution there. I think if you look at the chances that Ian Acho, um in particular missed against Southampton, there is some accountability there. But there just seems this malaise from Rogers that he is... Like, you could look at his post-match interview and the sentiment of it, and there's just zero animation there. And I'm not like a passion, punching the air kind of person, like give me that over competence. But when you put in such a dismal display and you just get this complete nonplussed kind of response, I think it really does very little for you when it comes to the fans. But also, I do think that our situation is semi-unique because there is a manager there that has a lot of support from within the club more so than a lot of managers would do in his situation facing those results. So as much as the fans and that sentiment may be turning, I actually don't think it makes that much difference. Like there's one or two people at the helm of the club that are going to make this decision. And no matter, it sounds bad, but like no matter how bad the social media is or or the kind of fan reaction, there was some chance of, of Rogers out in, in the stands at Southampton um, over the weekend. That's happened already this season. He, from a, a bookmaking perspective, obviously, which is my background, like he's he's been heavily odds on to be the next manager sacked about four or five times this season, and it's not happened every <laughs> single time. Somebody else has got the sack before him. He's still there, and I think he'll still be there at the end of the season because I think there is this. We, we've kind of painted ourselves into the court into a corner with the contract that we've given him and the way that the club's being run financially at the moment. So. I've just looked it up. We gave him a six-year contract in December 2019, um, which is a long, long time for a manager. But I think we did that on the assumption that he'd be using Leicester as a bit of a stepping stone and we'd get a good price to buy him out for a, another job. He was in the running for the Arsenal job at, at that point, And obviously they decided to go with Arteta, um, which is looking like a smarter and smarter decision every passing game. But One could argue um, that, yes. <laughs> I think objectively that is very much the smarter move. But um, that probably also means that he's locked in for at least this season, probably some of next if we don't go down as well, because financially the amount we are paying him, which is always difficult to decipher, but it's a very, very expensive managerial contract. And Leicester's accounts... Um, I have been subject to some scrutiny over the last few weeks and, and months because we spend so much money on wages already. Like I think we're the fourth. I saw a tweet from Swiss Ramble uh, last week where I think we're the fourth highest club in wages to turnover ratio or turnover to wages ratio at like 85%. Every pound that we turn over, we spend 85p of that on wages, which is absolutely insane. Like we've, and this basically underpins the whole season uh, we haven't had money to replace key players like our, our starting goalkeeper leaves four days before the season and we have to we have to stick with Danny Wood because we just haven't got the funds to bring someone else in we've had to kind of beg borrow and steal for a few uh, acquisitions during the season and obviously bring in a couple of defenders in the January transfer window but I think the club are basically saying we're stuck with this group of players and we're stuck with this manager until the end of the season, come what may, because there just isn't the money to make the changes. And who's going to take, I mean, yeah, okay, someone will take the Leicester manager's job. But now that the transfer window's closed, that kind of opportunity to change things on a wholesale basis is gone. Like, we're stuck with these players. This is the manager that brought them in. 
I really don't think he'll be he'll be gone anytime soon. I think it's got a hell of a lot worse to go before the club are forced to kind of make a move. We'd literally have to be in the relegation zone towards the end, very, very end of the season, I think, before they throw a Hail Mary. And even then, I don't think they'd, they'd necessarily do it. Gotcha. So, yeah, pretty pretty rough situation there. Um, hopefully, the football gets better, but it, it sounds like you've kind of already lost the fan base. And uh, if if you lose any of your talented players in the summer, well, m- maybe that would solve the financial issues, actually. They're going. Like, but, Tielemans, is, Tielemans yeah. is gone. On a free, um, right? Madison's, yeah, on a free because he wouldn't sign a new contract. Madison is probably gone as well because this is last summer where he'll be worth anything. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got two years left and isn't signing a new contract. He is very injury prone at the moment. He's clearly playing injured, um, which is not a good thing for him and not a good thing for us. But he, he will probably leave this summer if we want to get rid of him. Otherwise, it turns into a T-Living situation of running his contract down. Mm-hmm. But there isn't really an asset that we can sell for big money like in every other season past there's been a Chilwell a Fafana a Maguire someone that we could sell normally to Chelsea for 80 million you know or something approaching that there just isn't that to kind of press the reset button yeah the Indeed ship has very sailed oh oh, yeah I mean that is done and dusted like okay we could get some money for him but then to bring in an adequate replacement you're probably spending that money again so that's a zero sum game in itself, there just isn't that big saleable asset for us to press the reset button. So even if we do stay up this year, next year looks pretty grim because I just don't know how we get out of the financial bind that we've kind of put ourselves in with the, the spending and the, the wages because a lot of those contracts aren't up for like another year. Gotcha. Maybe you make up a very uh, young defender and chase Chelsea by him for yeah, another 85 absolutely. million. Yeah, that yeah, seems yeah. good out. Maybe that's it. We just football manager <laughs> just and tell them he's going to be worth 100 million in a season's time and see if they'll, they'll part with, with just some dress big up money. Wout Faze as someone else. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, or or I guess the other option is Arteta retires having won a Premier League trophy and then Arsenal <laughs> finally get their man and Brendan Rodgers. Um, <laughs> I can move with that. <laughs> I mean, there are better outcomes, but I can live with that. Uh, you know what? <laughs> Same. <laughs> um, Jake, uh, coming to you to talk about Newcastle now. Obviously, Newcastle in the midst of a great season coming into the year. Just a European spot was was pretty w- would have made everyone delighted. Um, obviously, the football's been really good as well. Have hit a bit of a rough patch recently. The last match that you won was January. It, admittedly, January 31st, but still technically January. Um, you've had some tough matches in there, though. And obviously, there have been injuries and suspensions at key moments. But I was just curious if this is kind of diminishing your, your hope and optimism at all, uh, either for this season or, or down the road, or is this just kind of a, a rocky patch? Um, difficult one. Um, it does feel like we would look like destined, like confirmed for Europe not long ago. Now it looks like we might not even get that, which is a bit of a worry. But I think there has to be some perspective in it. Um, our problem this year is that when we were playing well, we drew too many games, and draws are not good. Um, you're much better losing like half of them or winning half of them. It's we've had too many draws. Um, I think the Leeds game, we created like over three XG in that game and we drew nil-nil. Uh, Bournemouth, we played pretty badly and drew that. Um, Crystal Palace should have won that game. Like, there's just too many draws. And if you'd, we'd have won the game when we played well, we'd be in a much more comfortable position. So now things are slightly dropped off and the confidence is slightly gone. We've just been swallowed back up by the rest of the league. Um, but I think it's not the worst... 
I, I think we haven't had a bad run in well over a year. Like I think since January last year, we've been in really good form and winning a lot of games. So to go for that a period of time to now hitting a bit of a blip, like you got to expect a blip at some point. We have we don't have the talent that the the, the very top teams in this this league have, so it's it's inevitable. Um, I think the cup final was a little bit of a distraction. Um, I think losing uh, Bruno for those three games before the cup final really did hurt us because I think if we had him, we probably would have beaten West Ham. We probably would have beaten Bournemouth. May not have lost to Liverpool. Um, you know, it would have been completely different. So that really did hurt us in the league. Um, and then to come back to Man City away, like it, it's tough. You're, you're not going to win that game most likely. But I, I think in the last three games, we've lost all of them. But I think we've played well in in all of them as well. Like, um, if you'd looked at the shot count at the weekend, it would look like Newcastle were dominated. But if you watched the game, you'd have seen so somehow Newcastle got three really good chances and didn't get a shot on any of them. It was quite weird. I think the first one, Gordon was going to shoot and he hit his wrong foot and it, it you know it went away. Uh, Callum Wilson somehow managed to kick the ball backwards when he had a, a clear sighted goal, and then Joel Linton had pretty much a tap in from sixty yards and missed the ball. So. It's comedy in the in the final in the final third for us at the moment, but we were creating chances. You could say I think I thought we played well. City's got the second goal at the right time, annoyingly, because it looked like we were coming back into the game. Then Isaac and uh, Saint Maximin had come on, and we were giving them a lot of problems, uh, creating a lot of good opp- openings. I'd say openings because we weren't really getting the shots in, but um, it did look like we had a chance. So I think we've been playing well, and I think if you watch teams in possession and out of possession, Newcastle, you can tell that Newcastle are a very good team now, even though the results not going well like you can tell that teams have tough tough games against us in the final I thought unlucky the Man United got two goals when they did this feels like at the moment things are going badly for us and, and we're conceding goals at the wrong times um, but it, it, it's just bad luck at the moment um, even in the final third as well um, I think something like we, we scored three goals this year but we've created like 14 or 15 XG, like it's just bad finishing and just bad luck. You're not going to have a bad finishing slump of that nature for a long period of time. At some point, we are going to start scoring goals again. Um, we don't play a way to a top, a traditional top 16 now until the final day of the season. So you'd have to hope that results are going to turn for us now. We've got a good run of fixtures coming up. I think we've got Wolves at home next week, and then we've got Forest away. I think, and then we play Manchester United and West Ham. Um, but the Manchester United games at home, so. You'd have to hope that the results are going to turn. I think how has just got a few sort of teething problems with the, with the team at the moment. I think he's he's showing too much loyalty to some of the players. Uh, Callum Wilson needs to be dropped from that team. I think Isaac needs to come in. Um, I think Anthony Gordon doesn't really look ready to start Premier League matches for us. Um, I, he's one that I'd, I'd, I'd rather see Fred Maxman playing at the moment. Um, I think if any opposition team comes up against Newcastle, then the first team, they, the first name they don't want to see on the team sheet is say Maximum, and the fact he's not playing very often is a bit of a concern. There are issues with him out of possession. I don't think he's got a long-term future at the club anymore. He's not, he's not Eddie Howe's type of player. But at the moment, we're struggling in games, and just having him there just adds a different dimension. We saw in the cup final, he was the one causing all the problems for Manchester United. Uh, Isaac looks good at carrying the ball as well. Wilson just looks completely off it. It looks like his goal for the season was to get to Qatar for England, and he got there. Since then, he's been pretty bad. So um, there's, there's a few issues of it, but I think overall we're still playing well. It was just not getting the luck 
Um, it, it, it's funny. It seems strange to put it to that, but it just feels like we're not getting the run of the ball at the moment. Um, and that's eventually going to change. Um, so although it does look like Newcastle are falling off, but the performances are still in two thirds of the pitch very good. We just need to you know, get 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 the final ball better. And I think it's a confidence thing. It's it's kind of like a self fulfilling prophecy at the moment. We're not scoring goals, so players aren't confident. But with the kind of fixture list coming up, I'd expect us to start scoring a few more goals. And we we never really get blown away by teams. Um, so we're never really going to be conceded too many goals. We've conceded two in, in our last in each of our last three, but I don't think that's going to continue against the, the sort of the weaker teams. So it's definitely a blip. But over the course of the season and the performances now, there's still a lot of reason to be confident. Um, and if we do finish in the top six, that's got to be seen as a good achievement. So yeah, that's got to be the aim now is to, to stay in those top six positions. If we can get find the form we had in the first half of the season, get top four, that'd be great. But if not, like top six would still be a huge step forward. Totally, yeah. Um, and Dan, we'll wrap up with you uh, talking Arsenal. We're just hearing Jake talk about some difficulties up front. Not so much Arsenal's issue this season. Before Salah's uh, match today, Arsenal had three of the top 10 goal scorers in the Premier League this season. And you've had 14 different players score in the Premier League. I'm just curious your thoughts on on how diverse your attack has been and why you're able to get so many people involved in the goal scoring. Yeah, admittedly, it's going to have to be diverse now because with um, Trossard went off hurt against Bournemouth. Um, so we'll see on the return time of Jesus, that should be very soon, but if it's not immediate, um, and with Enkedi also suffering from a bit of a knock, um, we'll see who we actually end up starting up top in our upcoming games. But, um, as far as, I mean, the main thing is we have extremely good wide forwards. Um, so then you're also getting, you're getting high goal production from not just your striker, but also your two wide forwards. Ben Odegaard is, like I said earlier, he started taking shots, um, and chipping in for lots more goals. Um, we've been fairly good on set pieces this year, which gets you know, some center backs getting goals. We have a left back who is barely even a left. Oh, he's only scored one goal this season to be fair, Sinchenko. Um, but like he's a left back who is basically a midfielder. So that helps. Um, and we've, uh, we're from Reese Nelson time. He's come off the bench this season and been extremely helpful. Um, he had two goals in the game earlier this season. Now, granted, I believe that was a five nil. So that was, um, a, not the toughest fixture anyway, but like he helped um, then and he obviously helped a lot um, this weekend with the goal and the assist against Bournemouth. He looked really, really good. Um, so Xhaka, he's fallen off a little with the attacking um, contributions, but early in the season, he was really, really getting involved in the attack, making those runs in the box. So, I mean, a lot of it is just we had, we've become a very good possession team, kept a lot of the ball. Um, which means we have just had more chances to get people in the box. Um, we've been able to, with the likes of um, Odegaard, Saka, those two specifically, and Jesus when he was playing, lots of guys to get the ball into the box, um, like from from the final third into the box itself. And then we've just had lots of guys getting the right positions to, uh, to actually score. Um, I do think the biggest factor is um, the wide forwards being very, very good, and then also um, Odegaard being uh, both creative and also like extremely good at taking shots this season. Gotcha. Yeah, certainly, certainly impressive stuff thus far. I was wondering if one of the reasons it's gotten so diverse is because you haven't had Gabriel Jesus. And so the goals had kind of had to come from somewhere. Do you think that when he is fit and returns, he'll be able to just kind of plug back in and start firing in, in goals and contributions like he did at the start of the season? Or do you think it might take a little bit to, to kind of get him back up to the speed of the rest of the team? 
Yeah, as long as he's fit, I think he'll come back in and um, like it'll work pretty quickly as long as he's fit. Um, that said, I think it was already diverse when he was playing. Um, like he he got off to a he got a lot of goals quickly in the first five or so games, uh, and then he they kind of dried up a bit. Now he helped with the, the general play. Like he not only has seven seven goals and also seven assists. Um, so like he, the goals kind of fell off, but that was fine because we do have, we did have the likes of uh, Saka, Martinelli, um, and Jocko was chipping into lots of goals at that point. Uh, I said seven and seven, it was wrong. It's five and five. Um, so a little less impressive for Jesus, but, uh, I think he'll, he's going to slot in, um, and as long as he's fit, um, very quickly, I think where you'll actually see the difference is more. I think part of why we haven't been as we had a little more, a few more games where it's been we've had we need the last minute winners we haven't been able to take care of bad teams as well as we did the first half season. I think he has him missing actually has a lot to do with that because he not only was getting position score goals but his general play and like his ability to just dribble past a lot of people and break down a set defense. He's probably our best dribbler in the team, especially like dribbling through the center of things. Like Saka is very good at isolating someone on the wing one on one. Uh, not that he can't do that, but Jesus is very, very good at just using his body um, and then uh, moving in tight spaces to go and take out a couple defenders. And then, you know, you force you end up having an advantage um, and then he has often created goals for um, other te- other people. I think that's actually going to be where you see the difference when him coming back in the team more so than even just like the goals will start centralizing. It's more of that he'll just create more create more opportunities for wide guys to start to keep scoring. Yeah, I, I'm certainly uh, hesitant to uh, think about your attack getting better from here to the end of the season. So I'm just going to not, uh, and we'll wrap the show there. So if you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jim Knight Tweets. Yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at JJackwood2Ed. Thanks for listening. Thanks for having me on. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore Jersey underscore Fitz. Yep. And I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Gavroff. Obviously go follow these fine gentlemen as well. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable or by searching EPL Roundtable in any of your podcast services. But yeah, massive thanks to Jim, Jake, and Dan for joining me today. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.